Would you open God's precious holy word to Deuteronomy chapter 5, a conversation between God, Moses, and the people. I hope as we course through Deuteronomy, we gain the appreciation of the importance that God has placed on the initiation of the nation of Israel in the promised land. This is a big deal. A watershed moment, if you will, in scripture. So much has gone into the promise. I mean, when God separated Abram from Ur of the Chaldees, in a very short order there in that portion of Genesis, the call of Abraham, he not only called him out of a place, he sent him to a place and then promised him a great nation, many nations as a matter of fact, but one particular nation that through which the, all the nations would be blessed. So for the hundreds of years, it didn't matter what was happening anywhere else in the world. As far as you and I are concerned, the only thing that matters is how God worked in those hundreds of years, number one, to prepare the people into a great nation, and number two, to prepare the land to receive the people. It's a big deal. And so Moses is the only one left of his generation, the great Moses, giving them this, this final instruction, these three lectures that he makes to the people, this new generation of, uh, of Israel. So they are receiving the repetition of the law. As a matter of fact, have just received uh, the repetition of the law. This, in a sense, is, is the revelation to God's people of how powerfully important God's word is to his people. So, so with that in mind, let's look here. Now, I'll tell you, it gets a little confusing, I suppose. From the Hebrew text that I'm working from, I'm in verses 19 through 30, but I think you're going to be in verses 22 through 33. Uh, so it, it, it got out of somewhere along the way, it got out of, uh, sync with the, with the, uh, translation time. What'd I do? Huh? Oh, okay. That's all right. Uh, now, okay. So verse 19 in mine, verse 22 in yours, and you just have to keep up. Uh, best way you can, because I don't think I can. I think I'm like three numbers behind you all the way through. I think I'm right. We'll see. The awesome word of God. I, well, this has been my life, the word of God. 
I, I have spent enough money in my life to have built two houses with the books that I've bought, the thousands of volumes in my library. The hours and hours that I've spent both in study and in prayer and in building sermons that would teach, teaching sermons. And I grew up, my, my daddy had a sermon that he called the Holy Bible. And of course, the cover of the Bible is not divinely inspired, but it says on the spine, the Holy Bible. My daddy used to say, I believe all of it. I even believe the cover of it because it says the Holy Bible. Well, I grew up with an appreciation and a reverence for the word of God. But that appreciation and the reverential awe of the word of God has grown exponentially in my life. And God has, has blessed me and has nurtured me in the word. And I'm so thankful that my understanding, I think, and, and uh, my study of it has been enriched by the Holy Spirit through the years. And yet, Today, and when I started preaching through the Bible the first time back in 1980, I had this tremendous reverence for the word. And I, I saw the word in a presentation to my heart in one way. And in my life, uh, I believe the Lord led me and impressed upon me to branch out in studies of other disciplines only for the sole purpose of um, firmly, more firmly laying the foundation of the power and truth of Scripture. I've probably said this before, but the, those first, I think it took about 18 years or something like to preach through the Bible the first time. And I was, all, all I could see was the inerrancy of Scripture. Someone would come along with some secular thing, some, maybe some scientific, so-called scientific theory or whatever. And I had the resources and uh, the wherewithal to pursue that whenever something in the world dared to call something in the Bible untrue whether it was a historical fact or even a scientific fact. And I would pursue that to my satisfaction that the world was wrong and that the Bible was right. And the inerrancy of scripture was cemented in my heart through that first trip as a pastor teaching the Bible to his people, that first trip those many years. And then I went through it the second time and going through it the second time, all I could see was Christ on every page. Christ, the doctrine of Christ. That everything, and so I was, when, when, when there was a name of a place or a person given, or, or when there was a direction uh, guided by God in either testament, it came to me in the depth of my study 
that this is the work for Christ, of Christ, by Christ, toward Christ. Just Christ everywhere. I began my third trip through the Bible and I adjusted it a little bit so that my third trip through the Bible, please God, will come to a conclusion here in a few years. I don't know if I've got it in me or not, but I'm going to try it. But the only thing in my third trip through, which is taking longer than either of the first two, I guess that's because I want to keep living until, you know, I want the Lord to let me preach through it three times. So just, so just uh, keep breath and get, keep a, Keep my mind sharp enough and breath in my lungs. And let me finish this third time through. But that said, all I can see is the sovereignty of God, the almightiness of God. And going through that trek, still going through it, the things of the world only make me more mindful of the almightiness and the sovereignty of God, sovereign grace. And I, it's, it was, it's, it's inescapable to me. The, what would I, 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 there's no way. I'm, I hope to live long enough to finish the third time through, but there's no way to finish a fourth time through. But what new thing could be exposed about God and his Christ? There's no way to say it. Here's my point. The word of God is for the people of God. It doesn't surprise me that the world mocks it, laughs at it, and can't believe it. Because unless and until they're regenerated, born again, called by God to be God's people, in the case of the Old Testament, the covenant people of God, the world would otherwise have no appreciation for the word of God. They cannot believe it. They can't understand it because it's irrelevant to them. They're, they're spiritually dead and they're not, they're not part of the covenant slash salvation process, regeneration process that we see in the New Testament coming out of the Old Testament. But for those of us who believe it is absolute power. It, uh, I, was, I was studying this week um, the things that are happening in the Middle East. You know, I, ever since I was a young preacher, prophecy has fascinated me, and I, I have to take care not to spend too much of my time or effort just focusing on that because that's just about all I would ever do, preach it and teach it and study it. And all. But I have to be careful because the Bible is so full of so many things. But the, the, the consummation of the age... A fascinating study became very fascinating to me. I was a young preacher and I was preaching through Ezekiel. And the, 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 uh, I was teaching Ezekiel. Actually, it was in my first church and it was in, in, in the late 70s. And, and uh, Jimmy Carter was president. And Iran was big buddies with the United States, the Shah of Iran, you know, he was the leader. He was a descendant of Cyrus. His son lives in the United States. The, the crown prince, he's, he's a Persian prince, but nobody cares. Um, I don't, I don't care. Anyway. Um, 
And then history turned. It just flipped upside down. I've been st- studying the Gog and Magog War and how Persia was supposed to be this enemy of Israel, you know. And, and all of a sudden, this thing happened with the hostage crisis. And uh, the Ayatollah led this revolution. And the Shah of Iran ran like a man with his pants on fire. And he had, he had a very powerful military force, but somehow it, it wasn't working for him to keep the rebellion down. And he left. He barely got out of there with his life. Of course, Jimmy Carter, <laughs> that's, you know, with a friend like him. Uh, um, and the whole Middle East flipped upside down. And now all of a sudden, Ezekiel 38 and 39 make a lot more sense than it did just days earlier. And I was a very young preacher. Uh, back in those days. And to see how it's worked out through the, through the years. And to know that uh, if we want to know the power of God, the truth of his word, and where we are approximately in God's timeline, well, all we have to do is look at Israel. That's what we're, t- we're going to study that in the book of Deuteronomy, as a matter of fact. All we have to do is consider Israel. And what God says about Israel and where God places it in the timeline of, human, of humankind in this world before the consummation of the age. all we have to do. So I was studying the, uh, the war of Psalm 83, which some thought was fulfilled back earlier, what, the Six-Day War. Um, and people say, oh, that, that was fulfilled. Well, it couldn't have been fulfilled because... It's happening, that kind of thing is happening all over again. So it wasn't fulfilled, else it wouldn't be happening. And so with Israel being surrounded by all these, and this is pre, this is pre-Gog and Magog war of Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is a war that sees all kinds of Arab nations suddenly coming against Israel from every uh, direction. It's fascinating. Psalm 83, read it when you get home. Or if you're bored with this message, read it now if you want to. At least, at least do something in the Word of God. Um, and it seems that the timeline is Psalm 83, and then not far after that, to me, and a lot of people agree with me on this. Now, a lot of people didn't agree with me on this earlier. They were all wrong. <laughs> and the ones who haven't agreed yet will apologize to me at the judgment seat of Christ, but Anyway, Psalm 83 war, not too long after that, because now the stage is set for Gog and Magog, has to come the, has to come the rapture of the church, because then it seems that the Gog and Magog war of Ezekiel 30 and 39 introduces the last seven years of Israel's history. And because of the decimation of the Arab nations that have come against Israel, uh, and the loss of Gog and Persia and those, Turkey and all those nations that have come against Israel, divinely slaughtered by the Lord. Now the world has to pay attention to Israel. The, the Israel that the nation hated suddenly becomes beloved for just a brief spat of time. And this is what gives rise to the Antichrist. He has the perfect solution to bring peace. Seven-year treaty. We can't, we can't be that far. From it, if indeed we are witnessing the beginning of the Psalm 83 war. Now, I said all that to say this the powerful word of God, the allies, the nations, the confederations, the militaries, uh, 
the world leaders that have seemed so important in the eyes of the world, they are nothing. They are nothing in the backdrop of the purpose and will of God, and God is working this thing out. The nation of Israel was introduced to the power of the word of God, how he gave it, God's awesome word. You know, we're so far along and so far removed from those days that even within the church, so-called Christians have really lost their reverence and their fear of the word of God. And we have to be careful with this. Well, here's how it starts. I want you to see this here as we go through it. This is the repeat of it. Yahweh spoke these words to your entire assembly at the mountain. Now look, here's the picture. We've, we've seen this earlier, but here's the repeat of it. We saw it back when we were in Exodus, but out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the, the dense gloom, the, this opaque, this, this darkness unlike anything that the people had ever seen. And with a great voice, and he added no more. His purpose for his word was to give the Decalogue. Now, of course, the word of God overall continues, but the Decal- there's no other law to be added to these Ten Commandments. Here is the perfect standard for human behavior, and this is the basis for success of the nation of Israel, this new nation. This is the basis of success. And it's just a summary of how he gave it. But if you, if you recall back in Exodus, I mean, it was, there were lightnings and thunderings and warnings from heaven. Don't even touch the mountain where Moses has gone. Even if an animal touches that mountain, that animal's going to die. Anybody who touches that mountain will die. And it looked like judgment day when the law was given. This is God giving his word, inscribing it, and then giving it to his people that it might be memorized, followed, that it might be obeyed. Fire, dark, gloomy, awesome cloud to add what is said in Exodus, lightning and thunder with a great voice that sounded like thunder itself. He gave that law. We have just studied the law. That's, this is the, you know, this is the uh, postlude of what we just studied, I guess, here in this particular verse. And it said he added no more. There was nothing, there was nothing else with regard to those commandments that he would give. This is the, this is the foundation of God's perfect standard for human behavior. Now, what it's doing, of course, is it's developing the fallen nature of man, our inability to obey the law, and our need for a savior so that, so that the elect of God finally will be, will be, brought, be brought by the call of God through the redemptive power and act of Christ on the cross and then into his resurrection and we would, we would be redeemed. This is where all of this is. We can see that from this side of the, old, from, of the Old Testament. But they had these 10 commandments. He inscribed them on two stone tablets 
and gave them to me. Now, this is Moses talking to the people, to this new generation. So then how did the people respond? How would you respond? Well, and it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, the mountain was burning with fire, that you approached me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. They came to Moses. If it's a, if it's a small case letter, it's Moses. If it's an uppercase, it's God. And you said, behold, Yahweh our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we heard his voice from the midst of the fire. And we saw this day that Elohim speaks with man and yet man remains alive. That is, man lives as he lives. So the thought was that there can be no direct expression from God to his people. Now, it starts like this here, but do not lose the truth of this moment, which expands from Genesis 1-1 to the Revelation 22-21. It is the same awesomeness the same power, the same voice, only it came differently from in, into the lives of the prophets and yet differently still into the lives and service of the apostles in the New Testament. But yet it is still the same great glory and awesome power that transfers down from God himself in heaven into the hearts of his people, a visible written expression, the manifestation of the person of God and his will openly given to his people. There's nothing like it. No one, only a fool, even in this 21st century, would try to contend that the Bible is not a marvel. It is a marvel. It's a miracle. It has survived every test. It has, it has been victorious over every foe trying to defeat it and put it down and put it away. It always, it's always there. It, it will never fade away. We've probably since... Um, well, at least in my lifetime, in my arms, but since the 60s, uh, when the revised version came out, there have been, and those were subtle attempts, but the, the attempts these days are just blatant uh, to, to make the word of God palatable to the world by, you know, changing gender, uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, taking away the, the masculinity of God and, and, and of his son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, for what purpose? <laughs> I don't know. It's just demonic is all I know. And those attempts continue. I, I pay close attention to this all the time. I, not long ago, I told you that, that the latest thing, which was really the updated New American Standard, 
the update is Legacy Bible. I told you that in my opinion, that's the best and greatest translation that we have right now into English alongside the New American Standard. They're practically the same. I appreciate, for example, I appreciate the Legacy Bible because like I do, I use that wherever the name of Yahweh is used in the Old Testament, I call it Yahweh. Uh, and that's what legacy does as well. Even the New American Standard didn't do that. Um, close by there, but not quite up to that to me, is the 2012 version of the English Standard, uh, ESV English Standard Version. Now, unfortunately, as I understand it, later a later version was uh, changed a little bit, and I looked into that, and it, it to me and to a lot of people who ag agree with the same persuasions that I have regarding bibliology there's a little too a little too much liberty given in certain places but the 2012 ESV is the to me the best one so anyway those things are important uh, to me it should be um, to all of us now this is the power of the word of God these these weaker and less meaningful translations will just sort of fade away. There are translations that when I was, oh, I don't know, um, before I started preaching, but interested in, in scriptures, of course, there are some translations that were given back then that you just don't see anymore. It's because the Holy Spirit of God took them out of circulation, and that's what I said. But there are powerfully true, and these things have to be uh, powerfully true translations, true as true as a translation can be. And these are things that to me deserve great scrutiny because of the power and that, that is demonstrated by the giving of the word of God. What power? The infinite indescribable God could transmit to man his perfect word and it's a, it's a series of events, it's a series of characters uh, it, it, things that took place and uh, proverbs and wisdom and so forth. And it all comes together in this marvelous, timeless teaching of the will, word, and way and purpose of God specifically for his people. And it doesn't matter what you're facing in life, you will find something in the scripture that identifies what you're facing and it'll show you how God worked it out through another character in, an, in another situation in another day. And that's why it behooves us to be so uh, careful to be students, astute students of the word of God. It is so powerful. This is God. It lives. It is the only thing on paper that is alive. Unless you caught a worm falling out of the tree or something and but that's not the kind of life I'm talking about this life from the word of God transforms people it speaks to his people the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with the spirit of the people of God through the revelation of God his word he's revealed in his word there it is they witnessed this he's shown us his glory his greatness oh we heard his voice he spoke with a man, and the man lives. Now this is shaking the Israelites 
to their bootstraps. Their, 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 re, their rationale is he's going to have to kill us because we heard his voice. So now why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. The great fire that was seen coming down and lightning and all on that mountain. If we continue to hear of the voice of Yahweh our God anymore, we're going to die. Oh, please. For who is there of all flesh who heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? This is a very important thing in the, pro, in the procession of the word of God. How his people felt in the presence of God giving his word to his people. Had never been that way before. Nothing, nothing like that before. And now they're scared to death. He's going to have to kill us. We've, this is too much for us. Who has, who has been like this and has lived? You approach and hear all that Yahweh your God will say. And you speak to us all that Yahweh our God will speak to you. And we will hear it and do it. So, Moses, we have no doubt that those stone tablets are the word of God. And no doubt in our minds. We were there when it happened. And we know that you are the only one that he would allow to come up until later he called up others, but you were the only one whom he allowed to go up there and God spoke to you and we saw it and we heard his voice. Now Moses, you tell us everything he said and we will hear it and do it. Well, that's a nice thought. We know, we know how the end of the Old Testament goes, right? So the people at least have a heart for God and his word. Now here, God's yearning love for his people. Yahweh heard the sound of your words when you spoke to me and Yahweh said to me, I have heard the sound of the words of this people that they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. The heart of a father for his children. That they would be open and responsive to what he has said, I have, Moses, I've heard them. Three million of them out there and I heard them. Would that their hearts be like this. This is the God of salvation. Would that their hearts would be like this, to be like this, to fear me and to keep all my commandments all the days that it might be well with them and with their sons forever. Go say to them, return to your tents. It's time for them to go now and meditate and reflect upon what just happened. The giving of the word of God. The power of the word of God. The magnificent relationship that God has established with only these people. Nobody else. Nobody else has this. The church today, nobody else, nobody else contains the truth of the word of God but the church of God. We are the temple. The church, the, the church today the living church today on planet earth is the temple of God and he dwells in us. He indwells us. This is where the temple of God is. And so 
Through that and in that, the Holy Spirit of God teaches us. The word speaks to us because it lives and we know that it lives. Now, if a person claims to be a Christian and he's not born again, he's dead. And a dead person can't, can't talk to something that's living. Can't do it. Doesn't work. It'll never work. However, the same set of principles would exist today for us in the completed canon of scripture that existed for them when Moses received the Ten Commandments here in that day. If only their hearts would be that they would do everything they can do to pursue this standard. Now, God knows they can't do it, but Galatians teaches us it wasn't given for our perfection. It was given to reveal to us how bad we are. But God already knew that he was going to provide for sacrifices, altars, and, and all the tabernacle, all these things that uh, he gave. God was going to give a, a series of statutes and so forth so that we could acknowledge that we failed. But God provided for us a way for atonement that his people could be justified. And, and that's the loving father. And it's a great lesson. You know, I've sinned. They would come in a sin of ignorance. There was, even, there was even something available for the sin of ignorance. I know I've done something wrong because I'm a man. And I don't know what it was because I haven't memorized the whole Bible, but I'm a sinner. Like the publican, the tax gatherer in the parable with the Pharisee who stood proudly and pounded his chest and thanked God that he wasn't like this old nasty sinner who had humbled himself before God, the tax gatherer who cried out to God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Be mercy seated. The only place the verb is used in the Bible. Be merciful. When you look at me, oh, be on the mercy seat. The day of atonement, that blood that spilled, let it, let it be applied to me. I'm a sinner. I'm a, so the, the word of God expands like that, of course. And as long as our hearts are in pursuit of God's standard and obedience to his word. And that doesn't mean that we can completely, absolutely obey the Ten Commandments, but it does, it does mean that we can believe it and we can understand when we have broken the law and that God has provided for us a way out, that we could be forgiven and, and restored in our relationship. Oh, that your hearts would be like that, but we just finished, right? We just finished Kings and Chronicles. How long ago? I don't know how long we went through Jeremiah. They didn't stay that way, did they? No, they didn't. They, they grossly disobeyed, especially the one where it says, don't have any other gods before me. Especially the one about committing adultery. Especially the one about, well, all of them, all, all of them. Finally, the Lord through Hosea had to charge Israel with breaking those commandments, you know, by, break, by, by, by killing and stealing, and committing adultery, you break forth, you break the bands and blood touches blood. You've become wild and unhinged and God sends judgment to them because of it. So we know, but here's the heart of God. Oh, if you would just be in pursuit of me, I'll forgive you. You can't uphold this law. 
but at least you understand it's my standard and you'll try everything that you can do to have our relationship as strong as it can be. So here it is. Would that their hearts be like this, to fear me and to keep, they're about to go into the land. Keep all my commandments all the days that it might be well with them and with their sons forever. And I tell them to go and return to their tents. What is the bottom line here of God's requirement for his people? That we might be worshipful and reverential toward him. But as for you, now here God, Yahweh says to Moses, stand here with me. The people still understand that you're my man here. Stand here with me. I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, ordinances, which you will teach them that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess. Now that goes beyond the Ten Commandments, you see. It, it goes into those, those, those uh, the, the sacrificial system and, and uh, the offerings and the rituals, uh, all that God provided for them. And, you know, he gives Ten Commandments. And then, so that those Ten Commandments through through confession and repentance and through sacrifice and atonement so that those 10 commandments could be spiritually and properly applied as only God can do it. He gives chapter after chapter after chapter of what to do when you've broken the law. Now this is the heart of God. Keep standing here, Moses. We've, we've, we've given them a show here and they know, they know the power of, Behind the word. But I'm not done. I have a lot more to give you. So just stay here with me. And you're going to teach them these things so that they can be aware and do these things when they go into the land. Be careful to keep them and to perform them as Yahweh our God, Yahweh your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside either to the right or to the left. Stay with the word of God. Now, verse 28, in my verse 28, I don't know what it is in yours, but my verse 28 says here, beyond the Ten Commandments, there are other statutes and ordinances that they must be careful to obey. Now, every, every person could do that. God wouldn't have laid something on them uh, with, with regard to sacrifices and, and, and obeying the ordinances, he wouldn't have laid something up they couldn't do. As a matter of fact, it's in there. They could, if, they couldn't afford, if they couldn't afford a bullock, they could bring a turtle dove. The main thing is, is the heart, you see. The heart in pursuit of God, who is the only one who can give to us salvation. Don't move away from this in any way. Don't be liberal with the word of God. Don't try to inject your bias into the word of God. Here it is. Don't move to the right or to the left. In all the way which Yahweh our, uh, your God has commanded you, you shall go in order that you may live and that it may be well with you so that you may prolong your days in the land you will possess. The word of God is the blessing of God. I don't know why we can't understand that. And the church today, we must be in the Laodicean age of the church where the church is so blatantly 
disobedient, even blasphemous toward the word of God. They just snub it. Ah, oh, well, that's what it says, but here's what the truth, this is what we need to do. We need to compromise. We need to, we need to, be, we need to be loving and caring to the world. You won't find it like that in the scriptures where you can disobey God and his word and be meaningful to the world as a church. It doesn't work that way. Of course it doesn't work that way. It doesn't have the blessing of God. So the key to blessing in your life, prosperity as a nation even, and to live peacefully and responsibly. Here it is. Fear God. Obey his word. And your days will be blessed. That's pretty simple. And it, it, it starts out. This is how they got their start. We're about to cross the Jordan River. This is, this is where it starts with them. The blessings of the word of God. Well, let's stop there. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Oh God, keep us humble before you and reverential toward you and your word and help us to understand the great importance that is out that, and, and, and the responsibility that is ours to proclaim this word and to teach it in this world and as your people to grow in it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.